Hello there, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPEL. It is a sort of murky Wednesday afternoon. Nonetheless, it is a pretty decent day. A little bit of rain here or there. Can continue to expect that. As Mark mentioned, there's a grass fire somewhere on the horizon, so check out your traffic uh, before you head out. Make sure you don't get caught in anything. Otherwise, Enjoy your day, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the conversation. The Biden administration has, in my opinion, very foolishly, been bragging about how much oil it is releasing from the Strategic Oil Reserve, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, It is set to release a million barrels of oil a day through October. That is the current plan. There's a problem, though. This is supposed to help the energy crisis here in the U.S. This is meant to uh, make our gas prices go down. Now, gas prices are going down. You need to know that. You need to, when you drive by the gas station, you notice the prices are going down. It's not necessarily the release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve barrels of oil Uh, gasoline futures are down right now, and that is leading to an overall, uh, shrink, uh, an overall shrink in the gas price. We are looking according to Axios. Uh, let me pull this up. Yeah. Um, from Axios wholesale gasoline futures are falling, which could spell a little relief at the pump for Americans. Movement in retail gas prices tend to follow that of an unfinished wholesale gas known as reformulated blend stock for oxygenate blending, or RBOB. RBOB has fallen 15% since its high on June 9th at $3.69 per gallon. Gas at the pump has pulled back too, but only about 3% on average as of last week. Uh, Neil Duda, the head of economics at at Renaissance Macro, wrote in a research note last week, that this uh, this could probably lead to gasoline prices dropping about 30 cents per gallon in the weeks ahead. So uh, so we're looking at gas prices falling, but it's not because of Joe Biden and the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. What's interesting is that we are releasing all of this oil from the Petroleum Reserve, and it's not all staying in the U.S. Listen to this from Reuters. More than 5 million barrels of oil that were part of a historic U.S. emergency reserves release to lower domestic fuel prices were exported to Europe and Asia last month, according to data and sources, even as U.S. gasoline and diesel prices hit record highs. About 1 million barrels per day is being released from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve through October. The flow is draining the SPR, which last month fell to its lowest since 1986, U.S. crude futures are above $100 per barrel, and gasoline and diesel prices are above $5 a gallon in about one-fifth of the nation. U.S. officials have said all uh, have said oil prices could be higher if the SPR had not been tapped. The fourth-largest U.S. oil refiner, Phillips 66, shipped about 470,000 barrels of sour crude from Big Hill SPR storage site in Texas to Italy, according to U.S. Customs data. Atlantic Trading and Marketing, an arm of French oil major Total Energies, exported two cargoes of 560,000 barrels each. Phillips 66 and ATMI did not respond to to requests for comment from Reuters. 
Cargoes of SPR crude were also headed to the Netherlands and to a Reliance refinery in India. A third cargo was headed to China. At least one cargo of crude from West Hackberry's SPR site in Louisiana is set to be exported later this month, according to a shipping source. So as we are depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, we are sending some of that oil to China. To China. Once more with feeling, to China. A geopolitical foe is getting some of our strategic oil reserves, which are being released foolishly by the Biden administration because he refuses to do anything about domestic production that could help get the prices down at the pump. And he's sending 5 million barrels of the oil that we've released already overseas, including, once again, to China. Now, at a press, uh, at a, at a press event, uh, the press, uh, Biden's press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, was asked about this. Listen to her response. Um, and then there's a Reuters report um, out this morning that says that more than 5 million barrels of oil that were released from the emergency oil reserves were exported to Europe and Asia last month. And some of it reportedly was actually heading to China. Uh, is the administration aware of those reports? And um, you know, does it... Does the president mind that some of this oil that was meant to uh, ease pain for consumers is headed overseas? I have not seen that report, so I would honestly have to go look into it and see what what the truth is in that in that uh, statement that you just laid out and see exactly what's happening. I I just have not seen that report. So that um, yeah, so that is I'm sorry. The Twitter videos kind of loop on themselves. She doesn't know. Karine Jean Pierre doesn't know what the reporter is asking about. The White House apparently is not paying attention to press reports or, more likely, they simply don't care. Now, Karine Jean-Pierre has not, you know, done her position many, uh, much justice. She, she hasn't done any favors. Uh, she has not been able to answer questions. She stumbles around a lot. She hasn't been a great pick for press secretary. I mean, God help me, uh, but Jen Psaki did a better job. She could at least deflect and, and dodge a whole lot better. And she would probably come, come up with something like, well, we see that the energy crisis is a global problem, so we want to work with our global partners and give you some BS that would at least explain away the question. And it wouldn't leave the media with more questions. The press secretary of the, of the Biden administration has no idea what a reporter is talking about. That's a bad thing. Now, our, our gas prices are still high, much higher than they were when Joe Biden took office. They're getting worse. Uh, Pete Buttigieg appeared on Fox News and had uh, and was asked about this. And he and I, I can't believe that I'm saying this. He, as the transportation secretary, straight up laughs at the rise in gas prices at the pump. Pete Buttigieg is not taking it seriously. His his office is more concerned, I kid you not, his office is more concerned about latent racism in roads. I Go look it up. I kid you not, they're looking at racist roads. That's what they're focused on. They're not focused on this. Listen to his response here. Half of that increase started prior to the first Russian soldiers arriving near Ukraine. You can't blame it all on the Ukraine, right? What about the other half? 
Well, that <laughs> yeah, was. Well, what about the other half? No, that, that's a, that's that, a pretty that, important that, half. Well, then, no, no, yeah, no, but, but the, that, that half before we had run up. You, the, your administration has blamed this on the, 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 you know, the war, and that was certainly a big factor. But gas prices had gone up very fifty percent right. already before the war. So to me, that's half yeah. of the blame, not all. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's laughing it off. He is completely ignoring the fact that half of the gas price increase came before Russia's war in Ukraine. There's no denying that that had an effect. But something about what the Biden administration was doing had an effect prior to that. They are deflecting. They are dodging. They are not accepting responsibility. This is a repeat thing, a repeat problem for the Biden administration. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about just how much the Democrats are realizing there's a problem right now. A lot of nasty headlines from the Democrats toward Joe Biden. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.9, 96.5 KPL. Y'all, it's getting bad for Joe Biden. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Uh, today's show notes where I talk about a lot of this, uh, those are up at KPL965.com. You can go there, check that out. This via media, which is a media, uh, it's media reporting, a site solely devoted to media reporting Uh, from media. I I know a couple of folks over there, mostly of the left, but there are a few conservatives over there. But but check this this bit out from media. Politico spoke with Democratic strategist Camille Rivera, who said Biden is missing the boat here in terms of being more vocal about what Democrats are fighting for. This is our time to dig in and be absolutely furious because these one-half measures are not working. He's got a real excitability problem, Rivera said. Our rights are being infringed upon, and then there were two shootings, another in Philadelphia, on the exact day that people are supposed to be celebrating their independence. I really don't understand where this passivity comes from in this situation. It's important to know that Camille Rivera is, of course, wrong. She's wrong on the policy side of it. The whole point of the political process is to get is to negotiate and find the common ground where you can get meaningful legislation passed. Not saying the gun reform bill that passed is meaningful and that I'm a huge fan of it, but bipartisan efforts worked. Rivera, Camille Rivera, Democratic strategist, is pointing out, though, that right now is a very crucial time in Democratic electoral politics. As of June, in most midterm years, voters have already pretty much decided which way they're going to go. There could be some small things that change it, but for the most part, voters are pretty much locked in at this point. But what she is saying is speaking to a bigger problem here. Listen to these headlines. Oh, wait, I just lost my headlines. Oh, of course, I was on the wrong thing. There's a series of headlines that are out today. I apologize for that. There are a series of headlines out today from CNN. After a string of Supreme Court setbacks, Democrats wonder whether Biden White House is capable of urgency moment demands. From Politico, be absolutely furious. Dems want more from Biden after Highland Park. The Hill, frustrated Democrats express alarm over Biden's powerlessness. The Washington Post, as some Democrats grow impatient with Biden, alternative voices emerge. Mediaite. He's missing the boat here. Democrats slam Biden over flailing leadership, lack of fight on guns and abortion. Democrats are now in open rebellion against Joe Biden. All of this speculation that Joe Biden isn't going to win, all the speculation that he's not going to even run, 
in 2024, that they are looking for other people to run. All of that is only going to get louder, especially after November. If this red tsunami, if this absolute bloodbath of the ballot box stands, people are going to be looking inside the Democratic Party, inside the leadership of the party. They are going to be looking for alternative choices. Biden is in trouble. It's not just the Democrats. Biden himself is in trouble. He no longer commands the respect of his party because he cannot get anything done. Now, whose fault is that? Is that Biden's fault? Actually, no, it isn't. The Democrats have moved so extreme on every issue, they could not get a decent majority in the House or the Senate. The Democrats could not get a decent majority in the House or Senate. They can't do the stuff they want to do. They can't codify Roe versus Wade. They can't do more on gun control. You know when they could have done it? When Barack Obama first won in 2008. When they had a veto-proof majority. When they had a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. They could have done all of this then. They could have codified Roe versus Wade, a campaign promise of Barack Obama. They could have passed gun control which had been a campaign promise of Barack Obama. Instead, they focused on the Affordable Care Act, half of which has been undermined. Most people just simply ignored it. They took the, they took the fine there for a while. The Republicans have tried to undermine it here. It's pretty much here to stay, but it was deeply unpopular to the point where it cost them a lot at the polls. It cost them three consecutive elections with the exception of the presidential election in 2012, of the actual presidential race, the Democrats were losing seats in 2010, 2012, and 2014. Going too far to the left, not getting the Democratic base active enough, not codifying the things they wanted codified, that hurt them. And so instead, they relied on the judicial activism. They, they relied on the judicial branch ruling by judicial fiat rather than passing laws when they had the majorities to do so. And as a result, the Democrats are now looking at a slaughter in November and their president, the guy who's supposed to lead them in this party, the guy who was supposed to be Mr. Bring everybody to the table and bring some normalcy back to Washington, DC. He let the far left drag him further left. So he's alienated all the Republicans. He's pushed independence back toward the Republican Party, and he can't even energize his own base because he can't get any of his goals across in Congress. And Congress can't come to an agreement with the Democrats can't come to an agreement within their own party in Congress. So they can't get anything going. They can't get any meaningful legislation through. They can't get anything to run on. So what are they running on right now? They're trying to make abortion a thing. But if you look at all the polls that have come out since the Dobbs decision, abortion isn't moving the polls. Do you know why? Abortion consistently polls at 5%. 5% of the voters pick abortion as their number one issue. And you would think, okay, that's, that's 5% of people are active about it. Okay, half is pro-choice and half is pro-life. You have to remember, in the polls, pro-lifers care about abortion as much as the pro-choicers do. So that's, you know, being generous, maybe three, maybe four percent of that five percent are Democrats. But they, if they care about abortion to the point that's their number one issue, they were already going to vote in November. You're not bringing anybody else new across. 
Same with gun control. The people for whom gun control is the number one issue, whether it's pro-Second Amendment or pro-seizing guns, they're already going out to vote. They are already hardcore partisans. What's affecting the voters right now is all of the economic stuff, which when you add it all together from all the different questions that are asked in the polls, roughly 60% in most polls care about some aspect of the economy that's hitting them hard right now. Joe Biden cannot get voters to join in on the Democratic agenda because the Democratic agenda has been in power, has been the, the law, the, the, the policy of the land since Joe Biden took office and everything's gotten worse. Whether you want to be generous and say it's not all Biden's fault, it's just stuff that carried over. He's still the guy in charge. The buck stops with him. And they couldn't get anything done. They couldn't make anything better. Looking at the Strategic Petroleum Reserve stuff I was just telling you, it's making the situation worse. Not only are we depleting our reserves, but we're sending it overseas. We're not seeing relief at the pumps. We're not seeing relief on inflation. California is going to make inflation worse. We may talk about that a little bit after this bottom of the hour news break. In the meantime, let's go ahead and listen to the news. We'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the program. This via the USA Today Network over at theadvertiser.com. It's becoming increasingly unlikely that Louisiana GOP lawmakers will have the votes to overturn any of the Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards' vetoes if they convene in special session July 16th, making it more likely legislators will opt out of returning to the Capitol. Veto override sessions are automatic unless a majority of the members of the House or Senate send in ballots to opt out. Republican Senate President Paige Cortez of Lafayette conceded that GOP lawmakers in both chambers are short of the two-thirds vote needed to overturn any Edwards veto, though he didn't rule out many it, rule out members may still choose to convene. Senators have come to realize that neither the House nor the Senate will have the votes necessary to override the bill, Cortez said. So as we move forward, it appears a veto set override session would be a waste of taxpayers' money. All we've been hearing is the House is short a number of GOP members who will be unavailable because of travel or surgery, which makes an override vote even tougher. Y'all, is this really that much of a surprise? Is it really a surprise to anyone that Republican lawmakers don't have the stomach for a veto override session? I... I want to be charitable, and I understand that there is, you know, we all have stuff going on in our lives. But it should have come fairly early on if Republicans really felt that there needed to be a veto override session, there would have been plans made already. We wouldn't just be uh, flip-flopping around talking about it now. The, the session's been over, the, the legislative session's been over for about a month. By now, we should have heard something definitive. Leadership should have worked to either decide to have it or not. And they're not doing that. They, they, never, they never had any interest in actually holding a veto override session. What do, what do the House conservatives want? Uh, they want to veto, bill, uh, veto uh, or override the vetoes on bills that restricted vaccine mandates, 
toughened criminal justice reforms and allowed parents to take state funding to pay for private education. That's what the conservatives want. And they're not getting that. They're not even going to come close to that. They have a bunch of GOP members who are like, nah, I got stuff to do. First of all, first of all, the leadership, if they knew their members wanted to address this, leadership should have gone around and whipped up the votes for a session in the first place. And they should be encouraging their members, all right, look, if you've got travel or you've got schedule, you've got surgeries you have to schedule or whatever, this is the time that we typically look at for a veto override session. I don't know if a veto override session has to be on July 16th or, 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 or a month after the, 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 legislative, the regular session. I don't know. If it has to be, every member should know that and leadership should be working on it. If leadership truly cares, but they don't. They don't care about a veto override. They do not care about overriding the governor's veto. Let, let what the governor veto stands. They're cool with it. They got through whatever they wanted to get through. They had the political fights they wanted. They've won their fight on the maps. So be it. That's all. They don't want to actually fight for the things that Louisiana residents and the members of the caucus want. That's a problem. And the, the Democrats, they don't have to lift a finger. They don't, they don't have to do anything to stop the Republican legislative agenda because the Republicans shoot themselves in the foot time and time again. What's the point of having a near supermajority in the House and Senate, a near veto-proof majority in the House and the Senate if Republicans aren't going to do anything with it? This goes beyond partisanship, by the way. I would be saying the same thing about the Democrats. If you really and truly want to serve your voters, if you really and truly want to serve the interests of your caucus and your voters, you would make every attempt possible to get their interests through. But when you just kind of mealy mouth on the issues, when you throw certain bills toward committees that are not necessarily the strongest conservative committees under the strongest conservative leadership, I mean, hell, when your speakership in the House is dependent on Democrats rather than Republicans, you know that the Republican majority means nothing. The Republicans need leaders. And they really, really, really need to find somebody who can step up immediately and take over the job from Clay Schecksnyder after next year's election. Because Clay has been abysmal. Cortez hasn't been a shining, you know, hasn't been a shining star either. It's been horrible. You have near veto-proof majorities, and you can, it, it, we've proven that you can get Democrats over to your side on certain issues, but you just don't want to do it. That's all it is. Cortez and Sheck Snyder don't want to do anything about it. They don't actually want to fight for those issues. That's a lot of extra effort. That's a lot of time we have to spend back in Baton Rouge. Why can't we just go home? Well, as it turns out, they just want to go home. They're not pushing for it. They're not advocating for it. Joe. Yeah. Did you mention when the deadline is for members of the legislature to submit their ballot? Is it, is it the 11th? Is yes. Monday the 11th? Yeah. That's what I thought. Just got yeah. to check. Yeah. They have until the 11th. That is, 
if you have members who travel after the legislative session, I get that. I, I get that wholeheartedly. But if you're serious about reinforcing a Republican agenda, you let your members know way ahead of time, sorry, we're not actually going, we're, we're actually going to fight the governor here. We're, I, we need you to schedule your trip some other time. But they won't do that. They won't, for, they won't enforce that. And that is why John Bill Edwards has been able to do almost everything he wanted. All, not all the funding stuff has been there. Not all those, the high spending has been there. A lot of it has. But Republicans have given up because they don't have leadership. Well, let's go ahead and actually take our break. When we come back, more on that. And I want to talk about why California is a state to be watching, even if you're a conservative. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the program. Looking at California, now there's a reason I want to do this. I, I like to look at the elections and stuff going on in other states because it, some of it does have an impact on us, but some of it has an impact on the nation as a whole. So for example, California is about to make the inflation problem worse. They want to actually send more money to the voters. They want to funnel more money into a market that is already seeing record high inflation. Not only that, California passed a law that said we will not, uh, the, you are not, you will not, uh, you cannot use state funds to pay for travel to states that have enacted abortion bans or, or whatever. And there are several states on that list. Louisiana is one of them, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, a lot of the southern states. Montana is another state that is on that list. The problem? Governor Gavin Newsom appears to have broken California law by making his security detail travel with him as he vacationed in Montana. From uh, my friend and my boss at Red State, Jennifer Van Lahr, California Governor Gavin Newsom vacationed in Montana with his family over the 4th of July holiday, a state that is currently on the list of states to which California has banned state-sponsored travel because it's deemed to have anti-LGBTQ discriminatory laws. Newsom is afforded state-funded security detail through the California Highway Patrol, and there's no indication that those officers are not with him. That apparently puts Newsom in violation of California's AB 1887, signed by Newsom's predecessor, Jerry Brown, in 2016. That law states, a state agency, department, board, authority, commission, or including an agency, department, board, or authority, or commission in the University of California, the Board of Regents, University of California, California State University, and the legislature shall not require any of its employees, officers, or members to travel to a state that after June 26, 2015, has enacted a law that voids or repeals or has the effect of voiding or repealing existing state or local protections against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression or has enacted a law that authorizes or requires discrimination against same-sex couples or their families, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, if a state has passed a law that is deemed to be anti-LGBTQ, uh, A, B, C, D, F, G, H, whatever, then you cannot make state employees travel there. Well, 
officers on California Highway Patrol who are part of Governor Newsom's security detail went with him, apparently. At the time of publishing, one of Newsom's press officers was attempting to intimidate a uh, an activist group uh, reporter on Twitter claiming that Newsom didn't use any taxpayer dollars to travel to Montana. The problem is that if he has security, then he broke the law. Here's why all of this is important. Why, Joe, do we care about the governor of California breaking state law? Whether you know it or not, Gavin Newsom is angling to be the replacement for Joe Biden in 2024. Newsom has spent part of his gubernatorial war chest to run ads in Florida, attacking Ron DeSantis in Florida and pumping up California. He's trying to make his record through COVID, through everything else, look immaculate and attack Ron DeSantis's record. Ron DeSantis's record has been largely a record of correct choices, and Newsom has done just about everything wrong. The state of California is run by a guy who wants to be president. He is as far left as it gets. He is as woke as it gets. And he wants to inflict that not just on California, but on the rest of the country. And so he's looking at all those headlines I mentioned earlier. Remember from CNN, Politico, all of these others, uh, all of these other outlets, CNN, Politico, The Hill, Washington Post, Mediaite, all these others. Newsom's seeing that. Newsom is seeing that Democrats are tired of Joe Biden and the fact that he can't get anything done in progressive interests. He's only going half-hearted measures and compromises with Republicans. Newsom wants to go in there and kick butt and, and, and say, yeah, we're going to go full progressive on this. We're going to make America better by going full progressive. He wants to do that. Now, Newsom has actually a better chance than Kamala Harris. He's got a better chance than Pete Buttigieg. He's got a way better chance than Joe Biden. Actually, he's got a better chance against uh, Kamala Harris than Joe Biden. Kamala Harris has the lowest approval rating of anybody in politics right now, including Congress. There is no bench for the Democratic Party. They all got pretty much slaughtered. Bernie Sanders is going to be too old. He's not going, he might try, but he's not going to run again. Elizabeth Warren may try, but nobody really got excited for Elizabeth Warren. She was just a slightly younger female Bernie Sanders and not as charismatic as Bernie Sanders. The Democrats have no bench at the presidential level. So you'll see a bunch of people, if Joe Biden decides not to run again, you'll see a bunch of people hopping in. Gavin Newsom angling to be one of them. Gavin Newsom, as the governor of a large Democratic state, and with a friendly media, has a very good ch chance of winning that primary. That's why him breaking state law in California is important. We see that lawlessness, that I am better than you, I get what I want, you have to shut up and follow the rules mentality that so many in politics have, it needs to be on display. It needs to be reported by every news outlet. That Now, they're not. Red State's running something about it. I think Daily Caller has something about it. I know National Review has something about it. Conservative sites are running with it, but the media is not picking it up at all because they know that Gavin Newsom is going to run, and they really don't want to provide a whole lot of ammo against Newsom. They kind of like the guy. He's this younger looking, he's got gray hair, but he's younger looking, 
uh, fairly attractive male, Kennedy-esque, I'm sure they would probably say. They want him to run. They want him to be the, you know, in opposition to whatever Republican gets thrown up. Uh, you know, Newsom versus DeSantis is basically a, a, the ultimate test of what conservative versus progressive uh Gov, uh, governorship looks like. But they are all in. Now, on top of this, there's a column by Max Boot of the Washington Post that came out today saying that Ron DeSantis is worse than Trump. We knew this was coming. He's smarter. He's more dangerous than Trump. Oh, no. Somebody who's smarter than Trump could be running for office in 2024. Ron DeSantis is a governor who has done pretty much everything right and has been excoriated by the media. You want to know how you don't get Trump again? You don't do the same thing you did to Trump to somebody like Ron DeSantis. Because unlike Trump, Ron DeSantis picks his battles very smartly. And if you go about ensuring that Ron DeSantis, by your attacks from the media, is the front runner. In 2024, I can guarantee you he's going to win the primary, and I guarantee he's going to go up against a Gavin Newsom, and he's going to mop the floor with him. But the Democrats and the media don't get that yet. Oh, goodness me. Are we out of time? Oh, Lord. All right, 23 hours until the next Joe Cunningham show. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast version of the show on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But don't worry, I'll be back on Offsides with Shannon Wilkerson in just a few minutes. But until then, the Joe Cunningham Show returns tomorrow. Talk to you guys again then.